If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll get there in just a second. I want to spend just a little bit of time uh, on, on a movie uh, relating to fathers and Father's Day. It's about Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. And, and there was this guy that wrote an article on the, the father-son relationship and how it is important to have a man in your corner. I just want to read um, a quick excerpt from the, the article. It says, A man in the corner. In more ways than one, the story of Adonis Creed is the story of too many young men. Despite the profanity of one suggestive scene, the story is a poignant picture of a prevalent absence. Although his father, the famous boxer Apollo Creed, died in the ring, an absent more excusable than most, he still grew up without a dad. For a time, he fought his way around uh, different foster care homes until Apollo's wife takes him in. Even though Apollo is dead, Adonis still cries out for his father. Angry, hardened, lost, he enters the ring alone to find his father and in so doing to find himself. No man in his corner. No one to teach him how to throw a right hook or a left uppercut, how to propose to his girlfriend, or how to process hardship in his family. What makes the movie impactful is, the Adonis, is that Adonis finds a father in Rocky Balboa. Struggling to be a father to his own son after his wife's passing, Rocky becomes an unlikely mentor and father figure for the young man. He trains him, supports him, gives him fatherly advice. They have a captivating relationship. They verbally spar with one another, get angry with and hurt by each other, forgive, go to war together. In essence, they are a father and a son. Now, one of our pillars at Redemption Church is the emphasis we place on family. We believe that as people come to Christ, they join the body of believers made up with brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers and mothers. And so one thing, one of my dreams for Redemption Church is that we have men who are further on down the road look back and get in the corner of somebody in the ring and doesn't have a man in their corner. That's a picture of what will happen in Redemption Church. This is where we are going. This is where we are marching. We're going to have older men get in the corner of younger men who are struggling, leaning on the ropes, hanging on by a thread, and yet the corner is absent. We don't want that to happen. So uh, this reality sunk in. A couple years ago, we go on a beach trip, and I'm talking uh, to the guys that stayed in the condo, and now there's only about 15 uh, students. And I just asked him, hey, tell me a little bit about your dad. And out of the 15 young men, there was one who had a dad, his biological father, in his corner. And that's not the exception. And so when you look at Holmes High School and you look at Covington, what I want us to see, I want us to see what Paul does with Timothy. Hey, this is my spiritual son. I'm in his corner. I'm going to push him forward. And so this was one area in which I was blessed abundantly. So growing up, mom has the picture. Um, Dad, when he switched from banking to lawn care, made a huge impact on our family. At the bank, I couldn't help him. Right? He can give out loans. I don't know what would be a good loan, what would be a bad loan. If he gave me a loan for $10 so I could go to the corner store and buy candy as a kid, that would be an awesome loan. But I couldn't help him at the bank. But then when he went to lawn care, 
we got this little green weed eater, and there's a cemetery out in Burlington, and there's about 600 tombstones, and guess what happens after about the 500th tombstone? You get really good at weed eating, right? And we're just going, but I got to hang out with my dad, and you see a picture of him with the mower, and then me with the mower, and then my younger brother's with a mower. This is what we did. That's spoiled as a son. That's awesome. I get to go hang out with that. I'm learning how to work hard. And then I can remember, um, not only did I have my dad, but I also had my grandpa. Early on in the work, dad finally promoted me to the lawnmower that pulls itself. Now listen, this thing was awesome. It was about this wide, and you just walk behind it and steer it. You don't have to push it. Pulls itself. Big mower, big engine, throwing grass. I'm loving it. I'm like, oh, I'm big. I'm in the big time now. And he just says, hey, Ben, just be careful. When you go down this line, there's a hole. Don't go in it. Got it, whatever, I got it, I, I'm a professional at this point. Go down this line, and sure enough, I hit this hole, go down the hill, clear a path, and then go into the neighbor's building, and I'm looking back, and there's my grandpa. Now, grandpa was key, and we're, so what would happen is dad would tell me something, and I'd listen, but I'd not hear him. Grandpa was the guy I could go to and say, hey, what did he say again? And grandpa would be patient, hey, this is what you have to do. So I'm looking back up the hill wondering, how in the world did I get here? And I see him waving, hey, just turn the blades off. Just turn the blades off. Don't cut yourself. Turn the blades off. Turn the blades off. How am I getting back up there, Grandpa? we got to get up there before Dad sees it. Problem is, I've already been discovered. Here comes Dad. Make my way around. Coming. But you want to know what happened? I learned. I learned how to cut that yard. I learned how to avoid holes. Learned how to weed eat. Learned how to work. Learned how to get up every morning and go to work. Why? Because I had somebody in my corner. Then I've got another Grandpa. That would teach me how to pray, teach me how to preach, try to teach me how to golf. That didn't go well, right? It's still dangerous out there on the golf course when I'm out there. I had a youth pastor that dared me to do and dream big things. Say, hey, go get it. Go get it. If this is what God's laid on your heart, go get it. And so when I look back, I had several men in my corner. That's a huge impact. Now, what about you? Hey, this is the challenge. This is what I want. One, give thanks to God for those guys that have been in your corner. Two, especially for the young men in the room. My prayer for you guys, and you guys might not know this, pray for you consistently to be husbands and fathers that point your children and your wife to God. Because ultimately, no matter how bad of an example you have here or how good of an example you have here, I fall way short to how my heavenly father loves me and how I love my three daughters, right? But my prayer and my goal is that they catch a glimpse of a perfect heavenly father. And so that's what my prayer is for the young men. Um, I also think that's how Covington will change. One family at a time, young men leading young wives and young children to love the Lord together. That will be powerful in this city. And then my challenge is for the older guys, and now listen, when I say older, I'm talking about 20 and above, to look back behind you as you walk with Jesus and get in somebody's corner. Get into somebody's life, encourage them, pray for them, uh, just continually be there to build them up. And it could be uh, teaching them how to do something with cars, teaching them how to do something with the grill, teaching them how to do something uh, at school. It, who knows what it could be? But get in somebody's corner. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig into Luke chapter 6. All right, let's pray. Father, I know that Father's Day is tough for many people in the room.
Some of us have experienced loss. Some of us never had a dad in our corner. And so, Father, I pray that you come and comfort in those areas of hurt and heartache. I pray that everybody in the room sees you as an awesome heavenly father who loves his children, who will be there for his kids, who sees them, who is near. Father, I pray that you raise up young men in the room to be future fathers that will point their kids to you. Pray for the older men in the room that we look out for others, that we get in somebody's corner and push them towards you. I pray that you move in a powerful way. Pray that you're glorified with how Redemption Church looks out for the generation coming behind us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6. And and one reason how this fits in to Father's Day is uh, later on in the message, this is Jesus preaching, Sermon on the Plain, and he says, hey, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Forgive as your Father has forgiven you. And the cool part is you start looking more and more like your Father. And then, one of the primary responsibilities I have as a dad is to train my kids how to walk with Jesus. And so this is a lot of teaching. And I want us to be careful. Um, I'm not just to mark off a list of do's and don'ts. I don't want us just to change our behavior But I do want us to understand that this is something we should pass on, not just keep. And so here's the challenges. Number one, the challenge is that we apply this to ourselves before we apply it to anybody else. What inevitably will happen is we'll say, oh yeah, she doesn't love well. He doesn't forgive. But we never ever look at ourselves. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to hear. And I want you to work in this way. This is a very personal sermon that Jesus is delivering. Look at your own eye and the log that's filling it so you can't see the speck in your neighbor's. Look at how you're building and what foundation are you building in. Look at your heart. This is what you're producing in your life? Look at your heart. And so Jesus, again and again, this is personal application. And then I want to help others walk in this way. But what you'll see is the problem is in the doing. Uh, You might have heard the joke about the sick husband and wife that went to the doctor's office. The husband was in bad shape, struggling. They go in to see this doctor. The doctor does a full examination, looks at him, calls the wife out into the hallway, says, hey, we got to talk. I got some good news and I got some bad news. She says, the bad news is that your husband is in bad shape and it's not looking too good for him, but the good news is there's hope. And he says that, hey, if you would Take everything off of his plate. He can't work anymore. He can't have stress. He can't get in arguments. If you would take everything off of his plate, that would give him a better chance of survival. And then he went on to say, and you know what? You need to make sure he's not cutting the grass and he's not grilling. He's not cooking. Uh, Make sure he he can't help with dishes anymore. He can't do laundry. Um, When he gets home, make sure he has his spot on the sofa or the chair and prop his feet up. Make sure he has the changers. Uh, and, And the list just keeps on going on and on and on. And and the doctor goes, hey, if you do this, your husband will live about 10 to 20 more healthy years. The bad news is, if you don't, he's got about two weeks left to live. doctor says, do you understand this? wife says, I completely understand. They get the husband, pack up, they go to the car, and on the way out, the husband's like, honey, what what did the doctor say? Puts her head down and says, honey, I got bad news. You got about two weeks left to live. (laughs) Right? 
The problem, the problem is in the doing, right? And, and so Jesus is getting ready to say, hey, this is, this is how you need to trust God. This is where your joy should be found. Hey, this is how you love. This is, this is way you love if you follow me. He says, hey, this should be a mark, humility. And everybody's hearing Jesus. But just like the wife, the problem's not in hearing. The problem's in the doing. And so what will happen is, and you've got to remember where Jesus is coming from. He's coming from calling Peter and the fishermen. He's calling the tax collector, Levi, hey, follow me. And they're starting to follow him. And as you follow Jesus, this is the type of stuff your life will produce. This is how you will find your joy. This is how you will love others. And this is how you will walk humbly with Christ. And so it's not a list of, hey, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. It's as you walk with Jesus, this will happen. And so the problem is people don't walk with Jesus. People don't trust Jesus. They never go to him as Lord. So what I want you to do is examine your life, see what you're building on. And so I'm going to do this in reverse order, and then we'll apply the, the teaching. Um, if, you got, if you're in Luke chapter 6, look at verse 46. Jesus asked this question, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? So he has a lot of people say, hey, Lord, Lord, but he, they're not following in anything he says. So that doesn't make sense. How can you call somebody Lord and refuse to do what they call you to do? Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So real quick, who is he showing? Someone who hears the words of Christ and what? And does them. Right? It, it, he's not just talking about you guys. Because right now you're just hearing. He's talking about those that hear and does them. Tell you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. That's what I want in my life. No matter what comes my way, no matter how big the storm is, no matter how far the water rises, I want to stand firm. And I will as long as my life is lined up to the word of God. That's stability. That's what I want to see in you guys. That's what I want to see in people in coming to some stability. When you lose your job or a relationship breaks down and, and everything is going against you, you're able to stand firm because you're walking with Jesus. That's what it's like when you hear the word and do it. But, verse 49, the one who hears but does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So the question is, how are you building your life? How are you building your life? That's what we're going to dig into. Right, let's pray. And then we'll look at verse 20. Father, I pray that as we move through this text, you open up our hearts. Pray that you clear us from distractions. From the youngest to the oldest, I pray that we apply this text, that we move to follow you, that we love you and will walk with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <coughs> All right, number one. Build your life on joy found only in God. Build your life on joy found only in God. And so what happens is Jesus goes and says, hey, blessed if you do this, 
and woe if you do this. And when you hear the woe, um, what he's saying is, hey, stop doing this. Don't let your heart go after this stuff. Repent, turn from that, go back to the blessing. All right, and so I, I want us to see this together. The first one, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then the woe in verse 24, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, real quick, right there, that's opposite of how the world thinks, right? The world would say, hey, blessed is who has a lot of money, who has multiple cars and nice houses and nice clothes. That man's blessed. But here, Jesus is saying, no, blessed are the poor. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. In 100 years, it will not matter how big your bank account is. can't help you. In 100 years, your bank account won't matter to you either. You want to know what will matter? What you do with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, the poor understand that the security that comes from wealth won't last. But they learn how to depend on Jesus and see the security found in him and understand that that is forever. That's a benefit. Now, this is not saying every wealthy person doesn't get heaven. And it's not saying every poor person gets heaven. He's saying that the poor person that finds the dependability on Christ is blessed. And so here's my question. What do you trust in for security? What do you trust in? And you can tell a little bit with the paycheck and the bank account. You see, the problem's not the big bank account. The problem is the big trust we put on the bank account. Hey, this goes both ways. I've seen wealthy people have this problem. I've seen poor people have this problem. The wealthy person says, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. If I just had a little bit more in my retirement, I could stop working. But everything is on the bank account. And then with a person that's striving and working and grinding to get more money, it's if I just had more. If I just had this break, if this would just go, if I could just have this job, I'd be happy. The problem is what happens is we elevate money and wealth to a place that only God deserves. Your joy will never be full in money. Your joy will be full in God. And so you see here, Jesus is saying, hey, blessed are the poor. Because they understand where their joy should be flowing from. It's not in stuff. It's in me. Then we keep reading. Blessed are the hungry now, for they shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. All right, so, so right here is what is now will not last forever. Right? So you're hungry and you're struggling now. That's not going to be your reality in a few years. You'll see. It's, it's this idea from Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Or in Psalm 107, 9. For he satisfi satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And, and you guys remember the temptation of Jesus? What's he doing out in the desert? How many days did he not eat? Forty. Forty. And again, I use the example. I go without breakfast. I'm ready to kill somebody by lunchtime. Right? You get hungry. And here Jesus is 40 days. And, and what does Satan come? Satan comes and says, hey, Jesus, you're the son of God, right? Hey, turn this rock into some bread. Like, come on, let's turn Panera bread up out here. Right? And Jesus is like, nope. There's something greater than even food. And it's what? The word of God. He goes, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of my Father. He's saying, hey, there's something more satisfying than food, and it's my Father. So here's a question to you. Where do you find your satisfaction? Could be stomachs with food. 
Could be a relationship. That's what your satisfaction. Anything that fits the satisfaction, if it's not in God, won't last. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, blessed are those who are hungry because they're going to find satisfaction in me. And that's why he says, I'm the bread of life. Everyone who comes to me shall never be hungry. Your soul is starving for the bread of life. His name's Jesus. And then he keeps on going. Another blessing. Blessed are those who weep, for they shall laugh. But woe to those who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep later. Now, real quick, this right here is not saying, hey, if you have fun and joke around and us have, uh, you're, whoa, stop. This is the idea that, hey, you know what? You can smirk at God because you don't need him. You can laugh at God. It's not a big deal. Um, there, was, there was a fighter, Conor McGregor, super arrogant dude. He goes, hey, me and Jesus are okay. Uh, God's recognized God's, right? It's this smirk, this blaspheme saying that, you know, I don't need God. Whoa. Well, and some of us live lives like that. If God's never on your radar throughout the week, you're living like, you know what? God, I don't need you right now. Watch out. But blessed are those who weep now, who struggle now, because your joy is coming. You're coming to a banquet table. You're invited to the party. And it's going to be an eternity in the presence of Christ. That's what I want. Or, last one, blessed are those who are rejected. Rejoice, for great is your reward. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, because the same was said of the false prophets. And so here it's the struggle for popularity. Right? Following Jesus is not popular. Doing what he says is, is not a popular thing, but it's worth it. If everybody's speaking well at you, and, and you're, if you're seeking out popularity, watch out. It's not going to last. Never, ever sacrifice faithfulness to God for popularity of the people. won't last. And so all of these woes, so this is what I'm, I'm looking at my own life. All right, where is my joy found? Is my security found in uh, my job, in my money, um, or is it found in God? What is satisfying my life right now? Am I constantly running to, to food and to stuff to fill my satisfaction, or am I finding my satisfaction in Christ? And, and then I'm looking, am, am I living a life that, that's smirking at, at the grace of God, or am I constantly begging God to move in my life and to move in my family and to move in the city? And then am I, am I looking at popularity? Am I looking for the approval of others, or... Do I not care about the rejection of others, but I care about following God? And so I'm looking at that in my own life, and now my challenge is how do I push the guys I coach? How do I push my guys this way? Because the world's telling them, hey, this is what matters. You should play football so you can make it in the NFL, get big bank accounts, be popular. None of that junk lasts. So I don't want that. I want these guys to be men who play football well, but love Jesus more, knowing that football is just a sport, and God is glorious. And then I look at my daughters. How do, I, how do I teach a second grader all of this truth right here in this beatitude and the woes? How, how do I do this to a fourth grader? How do I do this to now an eighth grader? And, and so I'm, I'm working and I'm constantly trying to apply this. And I hope you are too. I want myself to find my joy in my God, not in other things. And then I want my family to find their joy in God and nobody else. And then I want our teams to find their joy and God, not somebody else. It's not in championships. It's not in success on the court. It's in Christ. And it's, it's a constant struggle. And then you see in, in uh, Luke 6.23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Now listen, there's been a few times I've jumped for joy. Right? It wasn't very high. didn't last very long. But I was jumping as high as I could. Right? One was Bourbon County. 
We're playing a district team. We shouldn't have won the game. Nobody thought we were going to win. But this win put us in first place in the district, and it was the last second play. Quarterback's rolling out, has a guy wide open in the end zone, and one of our guys knocks the football down. Right? Everybody on the team's jumping up. We're running down the sideline celebrating. We're going nuts. Right? Jumping for joy. Not too long ago, you three jumping for joy on the same field. Right? It's graduation. Mr. Hornblower, I now present to you, class of 2019, boom, the hats go flying. The caps are gone. Jumping for joy. It was worth it. Right? The work of the summer for football, it was worth it to beat this team. The work of school to get to this point where I graduate and don't have to do any more homework, it's worth it. And the same is true when you follow Christ. It will be worth it. Never sacrifice for the short term what you are promised for the long term. Follow Jesus. Set your joy on following Christ. All right? Secondly, build your life on love found only in God. Now, this would be transformational at school. I want you guys to hear this and see if this represents Holmes High School. And I want you guys to see this, see if it represents Holmes Middle School. Connor Middle School represents our, our workplaces, represents our neighborhoods. This type of love you don't see too often. It's very rare. Don't love like everybody else loves. There's nothing normal about the love that Jesus is about to talk about. There's something extraordinary about this love. So number one, you see it's a gracious love. You see this in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, and, and I love how Jesus adds that. I say to you who hear. Like everybody in the room is listening to what I'm saying. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm saying to you who hear, what he's saying is, hey, those that are listening to me and are going to do this, this is how you are to love. This should be how you move from this spot. He says, hey, I'm talking to you who hear, love your enemies. That's crazy. Love your enemies? Jesus didn't misspeak. He keeps going. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So if he takes your coat, give him your t-shirt. That's a crazy way to love. That is a gracious way to live. And so I was thinking, Cortez, I had this in mind. What would happen if a sophomore comes up to you, backhands you right across the face? You'd probably be shocked, and then you'd probably slam them, and then it'd be on in the hall. I'll tell you how this works at Holmes High School. Nobody's turned the other cheek that I've seen at Holmes High School, right? It's on. You say something bad about me, I'm saying something bad about you. You hit me, it's on. You hit one of mine, it's on. And so I'm thinking, so how does this, this is how. When you experience the love of Christ and how he's loved you, you are freed up to love others in the same way. And so this is what happens. In my life, I didn't want anything to do with God. I was running from God, and yet Jesus pursues me, comes to this earth, gives up heaven, gives up comfort, comes here, lives a perfect life, goes to a cross, had nails driven through his hands and his feet, poured out the wrath of the Father on him, consumes it so that I don't have to face the wrath for my sin, he gives me his righteousness and expects nothing back in return. He says, hey, follow me. That's a type of love that you have never known. But when you see that and experience in Christ, you can love that way for others. 
So what would it look like at your workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, if we loved our enemies? If we did good to those who hated us? If we blessed those who cursed us? If we prayed for those who abused us? If we offered the other cheek when we were struck or given a t-shirt after they gave our coat? Now, real quick, when you hear that, pray for those who abuse you. Understand this, this is not talking about a spousal abuse. This is not talking about child abuse. This is talking about as you're doing ministry and as you're walking with Jesus. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, it would be like uh, working at homes. I view it as a ministry working as security and someone taking advantage of us. So passing out papers, right? That's an abuse. We're not supposed to pass out papers. We have to go and we've got to do this and it's a headache, right? It's a pain. I don't have to do that. But we do it. Why? Because in doing so, we're turning the other cheek. It's not a security issue if nobody gets their report card. It's not our job as security. Right? But we'll do it. Why? Because we're going to turn it. You know what? If she wants to hand out notes for, for families members to sign, yeah, we can do that too. Right? Now, are we being taken advantage of? Yeah, it's not our job. But we're willing to do that so that we can serve students and staff and point people to Jesus. Now, that's a small thing. Now, this is not saying, hey, if you got hit by your father or your mom or if you got hit by your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, stay in that relationship, forgive and pray for. It's not saying that. Right? So don't misinterpret that. I know that that's there. This is as you're doing ministry and you're abusing, you're taking advantage of, keep moving forward. So a couple of examples. You, you guys remember Paul? Paul in Acts chapter 14, he's doing ministry. He's planting churches. He's encouraging the disciples. And then let's say Phil gets to the neighborhood. Phil, come on, stand up. Phil's like, hey, uh, Paul, you need to stop talking. So he grabs Paul. Take me outside the city, right? Come on, you got some muscles. You can, man, I ain't going outside the city. All right, so he takes me outside the city, and we're out here, and then uh, this guy picking on Paul, stay there, call some of your boys over, because you ain't going to be able to take me by yourself. Well, I ain't coming. Mike, come on. John, come on. John's got an arm. You want John. So what happens is they drag him outside the city, and they're like, oh, hey, dudes, hey, I'm just, I'm just trying to tell people about Jesus. And what happens is they pick up rocks. Thank goodness we don't have any rocks. And they start winging in at Paul, right? Paul goes down. All right, you guys can go. I'm done. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Get out of here. Go. I'm gone, right? And then I have one guy that should have helped me, right? Taewon, you'll be that guy. Taewon comes over. Listen, Paul is out cold. He's unconscious. They think he's dead. Here comes Taewon. He's just going to drag my body to bury me. But as he does, I start to come to And then he helps me up, right? Taewon helps me up. And we start walking back into the city. Like, oh, man, that one hurt. That guy hit me in the shin, in the head with those rocks, right? And say, so he helps him back in the city. Thank you, man. They, they dust him off, and then they go to another city, start more churches, tell more people about Jesus, and then guess where we go on our way back? We got beat up in Covington. Should we go back to Covington? No, we shouldn't go back to Covington. I got beat up there. But guess what they do? They go back to Covington. Why? Because Paul understood what it means to turn the other cheek. Paul understood what it means to do good to those who hate you. It's an amazing thing to see Paul just weeks after getting stoned to death. They thought he was dead. Gets back up, says, hey, I'm coming back. I hope you guys are walking with Jesus. That's a picture of turning the other cheek. All right. So build your life on a gracious type of love, but then also build your life on a generous type of love. Look at verses 30 to 34. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you with others would do to you, do so to them. 
Man, that's a generous type of love. Listen, I have problems on some days coming in. I try to have some ones in my wallet so I can give students that need a bag of chips or a bag of drinks or, or a, a thing of Coke. And, and sometimes, man, I, it runs dry quickly. And then I get somebody to ask, I'm like, ah, oh, I got a $5 bill. I want to keep that thing. Ah, do, do you have change today? Yes, darn it. I was hoping you didn't have change. Then I would have to give them a dollar. Get singles, and then here, here's a dollar. Right? But then I come back to a text like this, and I see it's a gift to those who ask. Now, real quick, as you pass people, um, so we were going to Cincinnati, and you see the panhandlers. Um, I'm not saying you have to give everything you got to anybody who asks. What this is, this is a life marked with generosity. And so this is what I do. I pray. And then if I'm led to give, I give. Now, I could be wrong, so I try to err on the side of generosity. But I don't give to every panhandler I pass. I don't think you have to. I want you to be a generous people, but I also want you to be smart. So I remember one time, Andrew and I had to run and get burgers for our, our family. This is years ago. Um, I don't know what the, the occasion was for, but the whole family's there. And, and we got about 20 burgers from Wendy's, right? Lots of grandkids, and, and, everything. and we're coming back, and there's this guy. It doesn't look good, I'm, and I'm praying. I'm like, ah, oh, Andrew, probably need to give him something. And uh, I go, Andrew, give me a burger. And he gives me a burger, and I go, hey, man, we, we, I don't have cash on me, but I've got a, a hot sandwich from Wendy's. You want it? He's like, man, that's awesome. So I throw him the, the burger, and he gets it, and I go, Andrew, thanks for giving up your burger uh, today. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but the point is, as you have, be very generous with your stuff. Give to those who ask. Treat others the way you want to be treated. All right, so I'm not going to embarrass anybody in my family, but everybody wanted the front seat of the van yesterday. Everybody wanted the front seat of the van. Here's what happens. Jesus is saying, hey, treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, if you take this to the, the nth degree, nobody would sit in the front, right? Everybody put, no, you sit in front. No, you sit in front. No, you sit in front. And then I'd end up with Camden in the front, and I don't want her in the front, Right? <laughs> And so I want, I want us to, to look, and now this is just family, and it's easy for me to use them as an example, um, but then I look at myself, I'm thinking, oh, I probably should have done that, I could have done this, I could have done that, probably shouldn't. And, and so when you look at treat others the way you want to be treated, this is active, right? This isn't thinking, well, I hope Donovan's doing good. No, it's actually doing something. It's treating people the way you would want to be treated. You've got to think of others, put priority on them, and then go do it. That's what it's talking about. This is a gracious type of love. So build your life on love found only in God. And then you, you see the merciful type of love. And, and I love this. If you look at verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. And this is where uh, you're going to look more and more like your Heavenly Father. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is the awesome truth. God has been so merciful to me and so patient to me. I continually have to ask God to forgive me. Forgive me of what I'm thinking. Forgive me of what I'm doing. Forgive me for who I am. And yet I always receive grace. That's mercy. And when I experience the mercy of God, I should be merciful and gracious towards others, which leads us to our last thing, talking about humility. Build your life on humility found only in God. Don't judge or condemn. Now, this verse gets taken out of context so many times. Verse 37, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And, and so there's something said with how we uh, act in a gracious way. How do we give and how do we forgive? And, and the idea is this grain, what happened, you put it in a sack, and well, they, they lift it up and they shake it, and it would go down more. And then they press it down, and then there would be more room, and you could keep filling it in. And, and what he's saying is, hey, God is not going to shortchange you. Right? It's not like the bag of chips with three chips in it. What, what God does is he keeps giving and giving. And there's a little room. Fill it and fill it and fill it. And it's overflowing. And in the same way, we should act in a way like that. And so when you see judging, it's not making biblical or moral evaluations. That's not what it's saying. So if you see me, um, let's, let's see. You see me, uh, Tracy will use you. You see me at work and I'm eating a dozen donuts for breakfast. And you're like, hey, Brown, you probably don't need to eat all a dozen. I can trace, don't judge me. Is, is that taking this in, in the right context? Hmm. No, he, he's holding me accountable to, hey, Ben, you need to honor, your, honor God with your body and what you're eating. That's not going to fuel you for any energy in the afternoon. Don't do that. That's not what it's talking about. What this verse is talking about is making a moral judgment on somebody saying, hey, that guy is too far gone from God. He'll never, ever experience the grace of God. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Remember when they called Levi? Jesus calls Levi and he goes to his house and they have this big party and, and a bunch of guys that you don't hang out with are at this party. And the Pharisees come and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you're eating with tax collectors and sinners. What are you doing? That's judging. Right? What the, the Pharisees were saying is, hey, God doesn't work with those people. And then what Jesus says is, hey, sick people go to a physician. I haven't come to call healthy people. Sick people, forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he's saying, hey, don't judge somebody. I say, hey, well, that person's too forgotten. Look at what he is. Look at his past. Look at what he said. Look at what she's done. Don't do that. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Be quick to forgive. Because if God can forgive you, guess what? He's also paid the price for her and him. The same price that Jesus had to give, the cross, die for my sin, is the same price he has to do for the worst sinner on the planet. He died. His grace can cover so I, I use this example. Um, listen, I try to do manly things. Sometimes I get caught doing unmanly things. I'm with my brother. We're at Boone Woods, and we're playing tennis, right? And it's, it's me and him and two of our friends, and we're hitting the ball back and forth. I already, I'm already questioning because on the other side of the field, we got these guys from Beachwood, and they got their cleats and their bandanas and their armbands and the receiving gloves, and they're playing football. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, guys, should we be over here playing tennis when we could go over here and play some football? Sure enough, one of the guys comes and says, hey, hey, you guys want to come join us? And he's like, yeah, we've been waiting for the invite. Now, listen, Andrew was in shape. He just got out of high school. My man's going to kill somebody out here. Like, I, I liked my team. Well, I liked Andrew on my team. The other two guys, not, not too hot. So we walk over there, and I'm thinking, how are we going to split up teams? They have five. We have four. And then there's this dude with cowboy boots and Skinny jeans, Wrangler jeans, but they're still tight. And I'm wondering, how's he going to move? He has the, the, the black beater on, the black tank top. Uh, he, he comes over. He's smoking a cigarette. And it's the second cigarette I've seen him smoking. And I'm thinking he's asking for directions. Hey, how do I get to this park to go see my kid? But he's coming to play football. And this guy from Beachwood, uh, he's about 6'3", 240, muscles, cut-off shirt, bandana, receiver gloves. He said, uh, I'll just take my guys, and we'll play you four and him. You guys can have, what's your name? Larry. 
Of course it's Larry. Come on, come on, Larry. <laughs> so we're walking down to this other side of the field with Larry, and I go, guys, I think we'll be all right. We'll just do two-hand touch. Larry looks at me and he's like, no, nah, man, we're playing tackle. And I go, Larry, look at our team. Look at our team. He's like, ah, we're good, we're good. And so we kick the ball off, and we're playing, and, and our guys are fast, and we're able to do some things. But sure enough, they get the ball. And the guy at 6'3", 240, catches this pass, and he's going down the field. And I'm seeing Andrew. I'm like, oh, Andrew's going to catch him. He'll trip him up. We'll be all right. Well, Larry's playing safety. He's back in the middle of the field. He sees this guy catching, and he's taking off, and he's flying. This is the fastest I've ever seen anybody run in skinny jeans and cowboy boots. And he's coming. He's coming. Thankfully, he put the cigarette out. He's coming. He's coming. And I'm thinking, well, Larry's going to slow down. And then I'm yelling at Andrew. I'm like, Andrew, you might want to get out of the way. Right? Before I can say anything, Larry's there. And Larry leads with his helmet, except we don't have any equipment, right? There is no helmet. He leads with his head, boom! This guy from Beachwood with the bandana explodes and then just, boom, falls to the ground. He's knocked out, right? His buddies go over to him, and they start looking at him. They help him up. He's getting wobbly. He's bleeding. He's got a gash. I'm like, dude, you got to go to the hospital. So I think I can play. I'm like, no, you're going to the hospital. He had to go to the hospital, get stitches. I look at Larry. I had no idea Larry was the Ray Lewis on the Boone Woods Pee Wee field. This was fantastic. So, before the game, I made a judgment. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We got tennis players and Larry. Larry's going to die of a heart attack with his lungs collapsing. I didn't know Larry could play football. In the same way, I think sometimes we make decisions about people. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Jesus won't... And you make judgments. And that's where this text comes. Hey, don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive and give. And then watch how Jesus changes. And then, and then I'm going to leave this with you guys, and I know my time's over. I want you guys to examine it. Sometime tonight, when you're by yourself, I want you to think about this. Jesus gives two ways to evaluate how you're building your life. Talks about a tree and the fruit. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your life's producing fruit. Right? If I opened up this box, now listen, this is a girly lion. I don't know who did this, but that's a shame to lions. But if I open up this box, guess what's in here? What type of cereal is going to be in here? Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> lion Crunch. Right? Cinnamon Toast Crunch is going to be in here. There's another one. There's a, a Lucky Charms one down here. And if I open up that box, you're going to get marshmallows. You're going to get Lucky Charms. And it's the same thing with your life. If you're following Jesus, you're going to find your joy in God, not in stuff. If you're following Jesus, you're going to be able to love your enemies. You're going to be able to treat others the way you want to be treated. If you're walking with Jesus, you're going to be gracious and forgiving and merciful. You're going to be humble. You're going to take the log out of your own eye before you worry about someone else's speck. Right? And so I want you to examine the fruit of your life. And... If you're married or got a close friend that you trust, ask them. Because we all have blind spots. Hey, uh, what's my life producing? Does it show that I'm walking with Jesus? Am I loving? Am I humble? Am I finding my joy and stuff? Am I finding it in Christ? All right, so examine. It's easy. You go to a tree, and if it's producing orange, it's an orange tree. If it's producing apples, it's an apple tree. It's, it's, this is easy stuff. But you have to do the evaluation. And then lastly is the, the thing we started with. I don't want your lives to collapse. And listen, life is tough, but only for a few years. 
And we'll either meet Christ through the grave or we'll meet him in the air, but one day we'll meet him. And those who follow him, it will be worth it. And in the meantime, let's do what Jesus has called us to do. Let's follow him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people here. Nobody's here by accident. I lift up our students. I lift up our neighbors. I lift up the city. Father, I pray that wherever we go, it is remarkably different because of how we are loving others. So, Father, I pray that you give these young men and young women some confidence and boldness to be different. Pray that you give all of us in the workplaces and in our families boldness to speak up, to act out. Father, I pray that we find our joy only in you. It's a joy that will never dry up. I pray that we're humble. Pray that we know what it means to experience your grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. It's in your name I pray. Amen.